Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Yay. How are you? Where are you in the world? Tell tell the, I, tell the people. <laughs> this is my um, studio. Those of you can see if you can see it or not, but um, where I teach all the time. And I'm in Portland, Oregon. We live in Southwest, so kind of in the woods. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful spot. Oh, nice. Um, and this is Audra. For those of you, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you all know my voice, but we're going to talk today to Anna Mitra, who um, is one of the teachers at Free Love and really is like ultimately one of the founders. And we get an opportunity to learn more about her story with yoga. Um, and then also just the story of your life. T- tell me, where were you born? I was born in Laramie, Wyoming. Um, oh. yeah, yeah, not a lot of people know that, but my dad was going to, uh, his doing his master's program there in American studies. And, um, so we lived there for about a year and then we moved to a little town called Bonanza, Oregon, which is about 30 minutes East of Klamath Falls, if you know where that is. <laughs> um, so it's, it was very podunk. It's, uh, I want to say like at the time that we were living there, the city population was like just over 300 people. Um, but very rural. We lived on 2000 acres of cattle ranch and mountains. Um, and so, yeah, we, we did that for about 11 years and then wait, why, (laughs) why, what compelled your family to move there? Your dad got his master's in American studies. Is that like a history degree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like uh, American history. Um, and then, yeah, they, they had me, um, my mom was working in the library in Laramie. And then my grandparents just like had land or they bought land right around that time. Um, the land in, in Bonanza and they had already always kind of dreamed of having a a cattle ranch. And so, you know, like they had just graduated, they didn't really have any other plans. They had this new little baby. Um, and so my parents ended up moving out there probably like six or seven years before my grandparents eventually made their way there. So my dad started the cattle ranch and, um, and worked it for a really long time. My mom worked at the little town like clinic. There wasn't really like a doctor's office, but it was like a little clinic that she, uh, worked reception at. And yeah, so that was my childhood was like just me and my little brother. And, uh, I have no idea how many cattle, but a lot. (laughs) A lot of cows. Wow, that's amazing, Anna. Yeah. And then how much older are you than your brother? Two years. Yeah. Two years. Okay. Yeah. So it was like the two of you growing up on this mm-hmm. ranch and you lived there for 11 years? Yeah. we. I was going into the sixth grade when we eventually ended up moving. And it was, um, if anyone's familiar with Klamath Falls right now, they're going through a massive drought and none of the farmers or anyone like the, the tribes, no one has any water down there. And so that had happened, um, in like 2001 to 2003 happened very similarly. And we ended up getting our water shut off and, uh, and that kind of started the downfall of, of the cattle ranch. We eventually had to sell off all of the, uh, cattle shut down the ranch and then sold the property to, to someone else. And we moved into into town. So into Klamath Falls where, um, yeah, we spent the rest of our, our youth. 
And what was it? What was like the Bob, the mood on the ranch? Like, were you guys just running free? And I don't, that's like my city. I was always lived, grown up and lived in the cities. So that's like my city girl, like naivete. I'd like yeah. imagine you like a riding a horse or something every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had, uh, I mean, we had a lot of dogs. We had my grandparents eventually moved um, onto the same property, but it was across the field. And so uh-huh. it was probably like, Oh, I don't know, like probably like 200 to 300 meters, like across the field to my grandparents' house. So we would just wake up in the morning and like crawl underneath the barbed wire fence and trek over to grandma and grandpa's house. Um, Yeah. I mean, every spring, my dad would get us up at the crack of dawn so that we could go up into the hills and find the new calves and tag them and make sure that they were all, you know, birthed correctly. Um, So did you see the births? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. And there's times, especially (laughs) this is a, um, like new mother cows, like if it's their first time giving birth can often have a hard time figuring out how to do it. And so I've actually watched my dad, um, like shoulder deep with his arm into a cow, grabbing the calf and pulling it out. Um, and he has, he actually has a funny story that at this point, he can't remember if it's actually a true story or if he just made it up, but he's told it enough times that it's become <laughs> like kind of true, but that he was doing that one time and his wedding ring slipped off his finger inside the cow and then caught it on his pinky as it was falling. Um, <laughs> so, he oh my gosh, what? <laughs> yeah, so we saw, I mean, we saw all of that and, uh, it was, it was a really cool way to grow up because you're when you're on land and you're living in nature like that, like the you're so aware of like the life cycle where like we were very close to death most of our lives. You know, we saw a lot of birth, we saw a lot of growth, but also, you know, we saw uh, we had a cow that got stuck in the mud one time and it was a really rainy year and she actually got sucked down into the mud and we couldn't get her out and she's still down there. Um, you know, we had kitten barn kittens who, and coyotes and that situation happens. And so we were always very, uh, it wasn't like, I don't know. We have a very, uh, both my brother and I have an interesting relationship with like, with the life, death, life cycle, because we were just so close to it as kids, you know, we couldn't really avoid seeing pretty gory, terrible things. I mean, cows getting hit on the road by cars and then having to deal with that, you know, horses that get sick, it's, it's just a part of it. And I feel like, especially when you have that much life around you, it's inevitable to, to see the ending of those things as well. And where was your, did your folks talk to you about that or was it something that was just always sort of in the air? Yeah, it was just kind of in the air. I mean, I'm sure that we had conversations about it. Um, Uh you know, especially when we would have, you know, we would find like baby ground squirrels and bring them in and try to like nurse them back to health and, you know, how it goes, like they would usually end up passing. And so we would have like a little, uh, memorial, dig a little grave. And so we had like, kind of like a whole cemetery in our front yard with like all of the hamsters, all of the mice, (laughs) all of the like barn kittens, several dogs. Um, eventually our horse ended up out there. Uh, when she passed away. So it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like avoided, but it was just, yeah, it was just a part of it. And was there like a formal religious context to your family culture? Or was it mostly in nature? 
Uh, it was a little bit of both. My dad okay. uh, is is Irish Catholic, and so um, we. I mean, yeah, we grew up going to the little Catholic church. I was I was baptized in the Catholic church, um, but at the same time, my dad was a practicing Buddhist at the sa- at the same time, and so there was just this really interesting um, dynamic. We eventually left the Catholic church uh, once we were older. Um, but yeah, there's just a very open spiritual, uh, like there was no dogma. It wasn't, we, no one was in trouble if they didn't want to go to church. Um, and it was more just about like respecting life and trying to be the best person you could be. So, oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> fascinating. And your dad was a punk rocker, right? I feel like you've, oh yeah, before, that he was kind yeah. of like punk rock. <laughs> yeah. He grew up in the eighties in the Bay area and uh, yeah, was in a lot of punk rock bands at, at certain points. He had a foot long Mohawk. Um, he, he played in bands. He like, likes to tell the story that, um, like he saw Green Day play in like a little college dorm room or like, like apartment (laughs) thing, like in someone's living room, like before that they, they became like the huge band that they ended up being. Um, and so, yeah, he is a, he's kind of a Renaissance guy where, he will, I mean, throughout his life, he chooses different things that interest him and he goes real deep into those things. Um, he's not really a surface level guy. <laughs> what does he do now? Uh, they're bakers now. <laughs> so after the, the cattle ranch went under, um, we moved into Klamath Falls, which we were considering already because the school system in Bonanza just wasn't very strong. Like my brother and I were, were like about to like test it out of grades and go up. Um, but, uh, so we moved into town. They both got kind of like crummy office jobs. My mom worked in the cancer treatment center in the hospital and my dad ran a nonprofit, like an ecosystem, uh, foundation nonprofit that they both did for maybe, maybe two to five years. I can't remember too well. Um, and then I remember environmentalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he okay. would go out to like, uh, like habitats and like, see like what birds were thriving, what plants are doing well, if they needed to like reroute a river or something or a, a creek or something, um, they would do that. And so it was actually really interesting during that time that, you know, the, the water battle was happening. It was a drought. There wasn't enough water. And my dad being, having just been a rancher who lost his ranch, um, was now working with the environmentalists, which were kind of on the other side of that battle. It was kind of a three-way battle. So there's the farmers, the irrigators, there's the environmentalists, and then there was the tribes who all obviously need water. Um, and so my dad got to be kind of in the middle of a lot of those conversations where he was kind of a mediator who could understand the three different, and he was very good friends with the the tribal leaders in Klamath Falls. Oh my gosh, um, that's so interesting. It almost is yeah. like he's in the Catholic Church, but he's also a Buddhist. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, yeah, he's able a very, to hold the paradox. Yeah. He is a yeah. both and kind of guy. Um, oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Is your mom yeah. like that as well? Or is, is she different? She's very open. She's not as uh I would say that she's spiritual, but more in a in a nature way. Um mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that we talk about it as, as much, uh, but just, just really supportive. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your relationship like with them now? Oh, that's, it's good. It definitely took a, 
uh, a turn when the bakery opened. So yeah, they, they worked in their little office jobs for a little while. I remember we were, I was going into my freshman year of high school. My brother was going into the sixth, no, into the seventh grade. So he was going into middle school and Uh they sat us down at the, at the kitchen table and they were like, we hate our jobs and we don't want to do this anymore. So we're going to be our own bosses. And my brother and I were like, cool. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? And they're like, we're going to be bakers. And at that point, like my dad, they didn't bake. They were, they had kind of like dabbled in baking. I remember like Maybe three years before this, my dad was still making bread in a bread maker. Um, uh huh. Oh my gosh, I remember those. Those were so <laughs> funny. <laughs> you get the tall square loaf. Yeah, like and- the square loaf. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And so they told us that, and I remember my brother and I just saying, "Like what? Like bakers?" And so yeah, it was the first year we were both going into new schools. Um, it was 2007. Was so bullshit. Were you like, "This is a little bit bullshit, you guys"? Like, what are you doing? Was there that like, kind of like skepticism? Right. Where it's like, did you pl- did you just like throw a dart and choose bakers? Like, um, <laughs> oh my god! That's and so, but. It was great. Like they, yeah, they really hated their jobs. And so they wanted to do something else. And we were like, all right, let's do it. And so they, they started in, I think, September of 2007. Um, and then, and then of course the economy crashed right after that. And so they had to go into like full, like workaholic mode where they were both working probably 17 to 18 hours a day, um, in split shifts. So they would go and work for like eight hours, come back, sleep for a couple hours, go back, and so because it was right at the time that I was going into high school, Reno was going into middle school, um, they were completely absent for, for a long time. Um, and there was, I mean, I don't know, at the time I was like, oh, cool. I have parents who like don't care and that they're not really like there to punish me or, or have any consequences. And luckily my brother and I were just happened to be pretty good kids where we weren't getting into trouble. Um, and we did really care about school, uh, personally. So, uh, we both, my brother and I had some bitterness and still probably have a little bit of bitterness, just that they were, you know, choir concert track, you know, meets and stuff. We just didn't really have anyone there, um, to cheer us on or support us. And let me like, they supported us as much as they could, but they had this like whole other business child that like, if they weren't there, it would have collapsed. And and so it was probably, yeah, through, throughout, uh, high school, like I graduated, it was still pretty much the same. Um, and then it was a couple of years into me being in college when it finally started to shift a little bit and they, they started to change their relationship with the work. Um, and my dad what has now that? gotten really, what, what did that look like when they changed their relationship with it? I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was hard and it, and I mean, it was not linear where like, they just one day decided like, okay, we're not going to do it that way. That's not how it went down. It was, it, it kind of came up when, I mean, my, my grandma, uh, got really sick. She had colon cancer and, and it was, it was pretty much terminal right away. And she, I mean, by, from diagnosis to the time she passed was maybe like six or seven months. Uh-huh. Um, and was so that, that the grandma from the farm? Uh, no, different grandma. Okay. Okay. My Oma in in Napa. Okay. Um, but she, my mom, you know, realized that I have to, I have to be able to take time off to go down and, and see her and support her. And, um, so that shift and just the realization that like, you know, they got to the point where their parents were getting 
you know, old and there was limited time left with them. And so that shifted it a little bit. It stuck. I would say it stuck a little bit more with my dad where he, he was actively after that, trying to like lessen it, trying to delegate work, trying to hire people that he could trust. Um, and my mom goes through phases where she does that. And then if she gets into a, um, an emotionally intense situation, she will go back into the, into the working. It's kind of a coping mechanism to, Mm, um, it has that addiction quality that we can have with like anything. Yeah. Judgment. And she knows this work. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, if she has to like do something hard or like, I mean, even if we're like coming to visit, she will sometimes stay at the bakery doing ridiculous, like sweeping, like she's the owner. She's, she runs the show. She doesn't need to be doing the sweeping. She has people that she pays to do those things. Um, but she will stay and clean just because she, I think she's avoiding the, the feeling part of it. Like, as long as you're working, you don't have to deal with the other stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, and it's, yeah, it's definitely not been linear. There's been years where it's like, oh yeah, it's like they're moving in the right direction. And then there's a backslide back into the work. Um, and it's also, I mean, it's a small town. So finding, you know, quality bakers, trained bakers are, it's, it's tricky. So a lot of the times they have to step back into the, um, you know, like in the trench role. And is it like legit bread? Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So they legit delicious (laughs) bread. Yeah. My dad went from making a bread maker bread. (laughs) Now it's, I I mean, and that's what he does. Like he finds a topic that he really likes. He'll read all of the books. He'll watch all of the videos. He goes and talks to, I mean, like he would go to, he would come up to Portland. He would go down to Napa and like meet with other bakers and pick their brains about it. Um, And so, yeah, at this point they make artisan bread. So uh, they have a sourdough culture that is older than I am um, that they've just, they keep it alive. And it's a, it's a really cool kind of sourdough because it's not as, uh, humid in climate falls and it actually changes the taste versus oh. like a, you know, like a San Francisco sourdough would be much more sour than the, like, I don't know, desert sourdough. Um, oh, that's so cool. And, and then they do pastries. So they do, I mean, they, they make the best croissant I've ever had the laminated pastries with all of the layers. Um, my mom does a lot of really cool scones and biscuits and, uh, pizza dough. So it's, I mean, it's the only bakery in Klamath Falls of, of that kind. Um, and they've got a really cool community out there. Uh, my dad goes viral on Facebook, which I didn't even think was possible, but like he, had, <laughs> he has posts sometimes that get like 500, 600 shares. And it's like, who are these people that are like still on Facebook? <laughs> That's looking so at funny. a bakery post yeah <laughs> so yeah cute so when mm-hmm. okay so returning that's like your I I just I haven't had the opportunity quite honestly to hear your full story mm-hmm. so that was I mean I knew you came from a rural town and I did I have to be honest I already knew about the Catholic thing but I just wanted to say <laughs> it um but I wanted to hear more about that so when you were I think when you were in college was when you started to practice yoga. Is that correct? Or was it before then? Yeah, I was in high school. I was a okay. junior in high school and I got a job. Um, it was my first job not working at the bakery, which I was super excited about. And I got hired at a climbing gym. Um, uh-huh. And so I would, yeah, like I was just, I sold memberships and stuff. I would do re- uh, route setting. And um, eventually the manager at the, um, climbing gym started teaching yoga. 
And it was just kind of like in like an offside room that they would, you know, like three or four people would show up and they would do some yoga. Um, and then he went off to do his training in Mexico and he actually trained with Kate Saul, who <gasps> oh gosh, community might amazing. recognize. <laughs> yeah. It's a very small world thing that she, I mean, she was, uh, I think living in New York at that time. And then she was and doing this Costa Rica. Yeah. Yeah. Running this training. Um, and so, yeah, my Klamath Falls yoga teacher went and did his training <laughs> and it wasn't until like a decade later that I realized when I met Kate Saul in Portland, um, that there was that connection. So he came back, uh, and then wanted to start his own yoga studio and he and I were really good friends. And, um, so they started a yoga studio just kind of on the other side of the building from the climbing gym. I totally fell in love and I was you know, that person going every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, just like really, I don't know. I got obsessed for a little while. Um, what was it, it? Like, what was it giving you? It was, I think it was the reframing of spirituality that I kind of knew where, I mean, I always kind of make the joke that because my dad was a Buddhist, that yoga was my version of rebelling. That <laughs> you know, it's like most people like grow up in like secular Christianity and then and then go off and do like paganism or like yoga or like something like that. And mine was like, uh, yeah, I don't want to be a Buddhist. I want to be a yogi. Um, so and it was it was just that like the honoring of life, like being in um in your aliveness, which at that point, like junior year of high school, I was starting kind of my relationship with depression. Um and and so there was a, there was like a half of me that really did not value life at all. I had, I had just had a, a friend commit suicide that year before. And so oh. when I started doing yoga, um, it was just like this encouragement or like an invitation. I wasn't like quite fully in there, but it was just the invitation to like, look at your life in a non, uh, like binary way, good or bad, uh, way. Um, and that, I mean, that has helped me throughout the rest of my relationship oh my god with depression and anxiety and day yeah sister. totally it's like like just I mean just the you know being a shape and just ask yourself how it feels uh was huge for me and and then I could do it in other places where it's like okay in this you know and nice teenage relationships boyfriends like being like mm, how do I feel in this and and I I did have relationships that I ended because of the contemplation that I would do in, in yoga. Yeah. When you were a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I grew up really fast those years. Oh my goodness. Um, that's such a blessing. Yeah. And I had, I mean, my really good friend, uh, Morgan worked with, she and I are still really good friends, but she worked with me at the climbing gym. Um, and she and I would go to yoga together all the time. And um, and then there was a little bit of like a, a teen community that would go. Um, and so, yeah, after that, I, I, I left for college. That's what happened next. I went to Bennington where Veda goes, um, mm -hmm. for a year. And at that point I like did this online. I really wanted to teach yoga on campus and, uh, Bennington wouldn't let me unless I had a certification. And as an 18 year old, I didn't have the money to do like a teacher training. And so I went on this website that was called like ecertificates.com. And it was like a $70 certificate that you could buy. And it was like 
flashcards. You just had to like match the poses to the pictures. Um, and that was like literally the entire thing. And then you got oh, the certificate saying that you I have certified never <laughs> heard of that. It was ridiculous. Like now the looking wild back. west of yoga and I right thought there. It was so legit. I was like, yeah, that was so easy. Like, I mean, at that point, $70 was actually a lot for me. So um so yeah, it was and so then I I mean I just taught some like a couple classes in the big lawn um on campus. Uh and I I I can't imagine I was teaching anything other than just sun salutations over and over again. Um and then I and then I left Bennington. It wasn't, uh, it didn't work out for me, <laughs> but I, I came back and that summer was the first time that I really started to teach that I went back to the same yoga studio that my friend owned in Klamath Falls. And that summer I taught like 7am classes. Um, and, and that's where it started. Still not wow. certified. I didn't get certified until like three or four years later in a, in a legit way. <laughs> I mean, that's so interesting, Anna. And it makes me wonder about like the blessing of that first teacher, because I think that at least for me, and I do know that a lot of other teachers struggle with this, is that there's sort of this thing about um, feeling like a fraud when you're first teaching. Oh yeah. And it sounds real. You, did you experience that? Cause it sounds to me like you left right in. Like I would have had the feeling like, Oh, I don't know enough, but that was also the culture the yoga culture in which I was immersed in at the time, yeah. like there was sort of this like um, way in which folks were put on a pedestal who were teachers, mm -hmm. like they weren't like yeah, down yeah. in the muck, you know? And right. I wonder if that first teacher that you had maybe didn't have that sort of guru-esque sort of No, and especially thing. because they were, so it was, uh, yeah, him, his name is Josh Nelson. Uh -huh. um, and then his eventual wife, Jill, they own the studio together and they were both pretty new teachers at that point. I mean, they were probably the age that I am now. And yeah. so like Josh had just gotten certified and then opened up the studio. And so there wasn't really this like hierarchy of, you know, like that he was so much above us. There was, there wasn't any of that. And they did a lot of um, like Mysore practice. Um, uh, counting the breath. Well, like it was just kind of like open practice. Maybe I've never, I, I don't know if I've ever actually done like an Ashtanga Mysore practice, but it was just kind of like you showed up in the morning and it was a two hour chunk of time and he would be there as like a guide if you had any questions, but then it was just self-led practice. And so there would oh. be like, and silent, totally silent, like everyone just doing their own thing. And then he would come around and do like adjustments if you wanted it. Um, and so that's kind of where I started to feel into the sequencing part of it. Um, and that has always been really like, so that comes naturally sequencing, um, and cueing has always come really naturally. I think just because I spent so much time doing it with myself in uh -huh. those like self-guided practices. Um, yeah. but yeah, I did, I did just jump in. No, okay. no, I but had you went no... to Bennington. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I guess I did, I did. Okay. <laughs> I did take several dance classes at Bennington because you kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> Dance in quotation marks. Right. I've seen the videos. <laughs> Very uh, explorative. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. An exploration of movement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that um, was, um, yeah. That's, I mean, that to me just feels like such a huge blessing that newness was okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like to be new was okay. I, I mean, I've told that to a lot of teachers that mo every teacher that I've ever trained is that you only get to be new once. 
And that mm-hmm. some students need a new teacher, yeah. right? They're not going to resonate with um, like me or you at this point who've been teaching mm-hmm. for so long, but they're really going to resonate with someone who's new like them. And that yeah. can become this like beautiful doorway. And it sounds like that's the gift that you had. Yeah. Yeah. I never felt like, I mean, I felt I've experienced like kind of ageism and yoga much more in Portland than I ever did there. There was never, I mean, we would even hang out like as a group, like, like half of us as 18 year olds. And then there would be like several, like late 20 year olds all hanging out together. And so there wasn't really this feeling of like, uh, because you're older, you're smarter or more wise or anything like that. Like, I mean, they hired me with full confidence as like a 18 year old yoga teacher, which yeah, like as someone who's run yoga studios, now I'm recognizing my own, you know, um, that I, I would question doing that. Uh, yeah, you know, so it, it was, well, and it was, sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not appropriate. It's all about, it just depends. Right. 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 Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a good place to start. Oh man, that's amazing. Okay. Keep going. Um, okay. So I came back from Bennington. I totally burnt out there. And so I transferred to the U of O. I went from like 600 person, super liberal arts, private school to the like 20,000, like very conventional, like state college. Um, and leaving Bennington was really hard for me because it was my dream school. I had, uh, I mean, I knew that I wanted to go to Bennington when I was a freshman in high school. And so my entire high school experience, I was like working towards the goal of going to Bennington. Um, and so when it didn't work out, uh, I, I felt like a failure. And then the period between, um, what would that be? Like came back in 2012 through the winter of 2013 was probably the, like the lowest point in my life. And I was living in my godmother's basement in Eugene. I, because I transferred, I didn't really get an opportunity to meet people, um, so I, I just stayed down in the basement. I smoked a lot of weed um, and did my school Oh my work. God. <laughs> and I do have a basement weed. <laughs> <laughs> Failed at college. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of TV scenario. Yeah. 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 Netflix in bed. I would have like my food and my phone and my computer and everything. Just I had like a queen bed and like half of the bed was just all of my stuff. I never even got out of bed. I started smoking cigarettes back then just because yeah. it was like something to do, um, like a reason to go outside. And, and then I, yeah, so that was really right. I mean, my, my best friend in the entire world, she was in, um, eating disorder rehab out in like, uh, East Eugene. Um, and so like, it, I mean, she and I were just going through it together. And so I totally left yoga for that year and a half. Um, and maybe a little bit more because then eventually I met, uh, some friends in the, in the English department school and my friend Bree had an apartment that was above these like very loud, rowdy boys. And so we'd be sitting up there and we'd be doing like tarot and crystals and like hanging out, listening to music. And then there was like this like raging party. Like it didn't matter what time of day it was. It could be like 10 (laughs) o'clock on a Tuesday and these guys are like turning up. And eventually we got invited to one of those parties. They invited us down. And uh, that's when I met Garrett, who is now I my was husband. wondering, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So met him. And actually, I mean, that's a ridiculous story that he was just kind of a friend for a little while. And then I needed a ride to LA 
to see my friend Brie. That's where she was living uh, or where she went home to for spring break. Ride to LA. And, yeah, I just needed a ride. And I remember calling my mom and being like, I think I'm going to go to LA for spring break. Um, my friend Brie lives there and I'm going to meet up with her and that's where I'm going to stay. But I don't know how I'm going to get there. And there's these two random boys that are also driving down to LA. And I think I might catch a ride with them. And my mom was like, Oh, I don't know. That sounds really sketchy that like, you don't really know these guys. It's like two guys like, um, and it was the yeah, party it was, house downstairs from the party <laughs> house who like rages nonstop. And, and then it was, yeah, it was Garrett and who is now our best friend, Andrew. He was the best man in our wedding. Oh, um, I've heard you and, speak about him. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. So we, we caravan down spent the the week and a half in LA. And then on the way back, um, Garrett and I were like, meh, we kind of like each other. We should like, see how this goes. Um, oh. and then, yeah, just having like, again, like more community, like the, the entire time that I was alone in that basement was, that was half of why it was just the worst time of my life. I just didn't know anyone. I had no one to talk to about like all of the things that were going on. And Um, and then once I started to build the friendships that like within the English department, and then when I met Garrett, I went into the journalism school and made a lot of friends there. Um, that's where I started to kind of shift back towards being interested in yoga. Um, and it was like an aversion, like I was actively not doing yoga because it was too intense, like to, to look at my life at that time. Uh, yeah, it was, it was too much for me at that time. And it was like, it just. I just needed to take a break. Um, and I was very dissociated. I don't even know if I could have like actually done a practice. Um, I think everyone who's listening can probably relate to that. Yeah. Just like you saying it landed in my body, like that feeling of just to feel is too much Mm -hmm. to be, like you said before, to be in a pose and be, ask yourself, how does this feel? Sometimes it's too much to even ask. Right. Yeah. Right. And when you're in the cycle of just feeling terrible. And because you feel terrible, you don't, you know, you don't eat well, you don't move your body, you don't take care of yourself. And because of that, you start to feel worse in that cycle. It's like to like yoga asks you to, to look at, you know, like look at yourself and look at your life from a place of curiosity. Um, but I could not be curious because I was so sure that my life was like falling apart. You know, yeah. I was just yeah. like, I, I don't want to know that I already know it. And yoga is just going to tell it to me more. Um, which may not, might not have actually been true. Um, but that's how I, I felt. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I graduated a year before Garrett because I had done a lot of like, um, AP classes in high school. So I graduated a year early, uh, and decided to stay in Eugene and hang with him, which was like, at that point was like such a big deal that I was like, I'm going to stay in Eugene for a boy. Really? Like, <laughs> like what? Uh, but I did. And it was obviously fine. Um, but at that point, I, I had to get a job because uh, I wasn't in school anymore. And I worked at Big Five in South Eugene for a while um, and started to get more into like outdoors stuff again, more into movement and exercise. Uh, and then eventually I saw a, a job posting on like Facebook for a yoga studio in town that was looking for a like a front desk trade person. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went and interviewed and because 
I had, I had so much experience because I did do like some admin stuff for the climate fall studio as well. I knew like how to work mind body and all of that. And back then mind body was like a whole different beast. Um, but, uh, they decided to hire me on as like a, um, just admin support. So I actually got to get paid. Um, and yeah, so I, I went right back into going to like classes every single day. Um, I met my first Anusara teacher, uh, Desiree Rumba through that studio. Um, oh yeah. Got- she used to go to Eugene. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was, I mean, like I, again, it was like, a, it, it was a completely different way of doing yoga than I had known because the, the Eugene yoga where I was working was very much like a kind of like anatomical biomechanics, um, very kind of literal studio. There wasn't like a whole lot of like metaphor or energy talk or storytelling. Um, and so then when I like started meeting Anusara teachers, I was like, Ooh, this is like all of it all at once. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, eventually Garrett graduated and he got hired by the trailblazers. And so again, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to move to Portland for a boy. Um, (laughs) and at that point, for some reason, I was so anti Portland. I think that may, it may have been like me growing up in Klamath Falls and then just being like, Oh, all the like odd people live in Portland. Um, and I just had like ridiculous, like vision in my brain. I really didn't want to move to Portland. Um, but was looking at teacher trainings at that point, I had gotten a, um, or I had like a little bit of scholarship money that like I had, I hadn't used. And so they just give it to you at the end. Um, it's like, yeah, like it was a loan actually. It wasn't a scholarship. I had to pay it back eventually, but I used that money (laughs) to pay for my first teacher training. Um, and it was a studio in Portland. And so I, I came up in September of 2014, I, I think maybe it was 2015. Uh, I don't know. Um, and did the first portion of the training and then, um, yeah, I went back for the winter. Cause it was like a three section training. You did like 10 days, you would have like two months off to like do all the homework, 10 days, two months off, and then 10 days in a retreat. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. so it was like kind of more immersion style. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I went back for the, in between the first two sections, I, I wrote the owners a letter and or an email, a letter, an email, and and just said, I have all of this experience running yoga studios. I've been doing admin and marketing, and you know, I know how to use mind body. Um, like, if you're ever looking for someone, because I was going to need a job in Portland too. So, uh, so yeah, and they said absolutely at that point. Um, so this is Yoga Union, and it was a massive studio. Those of you who know Yoga Union, I went from teeny tiny little studios where you could fit maybe like eight people in it. Uh, to Yoga Union, where you could fit like probably at least a hundred people in that big studio, um, and so it was like I mean I kind of like did the fake it till you make it thing where I was like yeah I can do this I've done all of this before. <laughs> Meanwhile, being like I I don't know this is like a mega complex yoga studio, um, but yeah they needed help because at that point Diana Hewlett was leaving her role as like an assistant manager, and so I came in and and took her place. It was just kind of like really right at the same time. So yeah. um, Yeah. Got hired there, finished my training. And because I was, I was, because I was the assistant manager, I I had a lot of opportunities to, you know, if, if there was a last minute sub or something and no one else could pick it up, they'd be, they would let me do it. Um, I did apprentice with uh, my first teacher for about three years. So I was in there with her uh, during her classes and I would 
you know, teach portions of it. And I would do a lot of the like hands-on adjustment stuff, feedback, um, was there for any questions. And so I got to learn like a lot. It was again, like just because I, it was my job, I was still like super immersed in just the culture and, uh, and it was like, my training was like, I was like living in a live-in training almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like becoming um, like the tendrils of yoga were fanning out into your life, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of my friends, like you know, I was I was fresh in Portland. I I didn't ha- know very many people, so like my first friends in Portland were the people in my teacher training, um, who all went to Yoga Union. And then as I worked there, a lot of my friends were just people who practiced there, people who worked in the building. Um, uh-huh. And so it really it did start my kind of like sense of community here. Yeah. And then are you still friends with those folks from your teacher training? Some of Uh, them? A couple of them. Yeah. I mean, like we follow each other on Instagram, still like, like each other's stuff. Um, But a lot of them have actually moved or, or didn't end up teaching. So we kind of ended up in different worlds. I think I was Um, actually the only one. I was the only one from my teacher training year that ended up teaching at yoga union. Um, and I think I want to say like three or four other people ended up teaching uh, at all elsewhere, which is it's okay. fine. Like it's like teacher <clears throat> trainings don't have to be to become a teacher. It can just be like to learn more about the practice. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people are like, I want to do this. And then they're like, never mind. And right. then some people I was one of those cases where I didn't want to do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was like, I don't want to teach. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm a teacher. I didn't really know that that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sometimes. how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then I know this is, I mean, we could go a lot of directions with this, but <laughs> I, I guess I'm just curious because I know that yoga union has, is no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering about the grief around that or how that's like settling in you right now. Yeah. And I know it that is... it's really complicated. I understand that there's <laughs> a lot of context, but just like emotionally. Because yeah. all of us have lost and just that a lot has happened in the last 18 months, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just that it was so fast because it's like 2019 was um probably one of our best years. Like, it's like the, we had a, like a ton of members. We had a lot of people, you know, my, that was at the time that my classes really started to build. And I started to find like kind of my, uh, my little yoga community. Um, and you know, it was like that year I, we, Garrett and I moved into our first house. Um, we got our, our first puppy, we got married that year. I got, I got promoted to the like full-time manager. So I was really running the entire studio at that point. Um, and so all of these things happen and I made the joke so many times at that front desk saying like, man, 2020 or sorry, 2019 was such a like packed year. I hope that nothing happens in 2020. <laughs> and then like <laughs> the funniest thing happened. <laughs> um, yeah. and so it was, it was just like that we went from like such a high where we were, we felt really good about, you know, we were able to like give raises to all of our teachers. We felt really comfortable with like how that was going. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and it was within two months, yoga union closed and moved out of the building. And, uh, and then the owners moved to Idaho and it was apparent that it was not going to reopen in a physical sense, at least they were still doing online at that point. And so the, the suddenness of it was, um, 
was not something that I was like maybe really ready to face. I, I like, I think that I convinced myself, I mean, probably for another year that like, if I could work hard enough, I could like somehow bring it back. You know, that like, that maybe like, even though uh, the owners moved to a different place that like, maybe I could like open up a little version of yoga union and like, keep it going because it was, it was like my second home, you know, all of the teachers were my closest friends, like all of the students I saw, you know, like hundreds of people come through that front desk every single day. And it's like, I know your kids because we had the childcare. It's like, I know I've met your parents. I know what's going on in your life. I remember when you got married. I remember when you got divorced, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, like all of that was gone. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I gripped and I held on for a really long time. And then eventually it, it just became apparent that that was not the, where I needed to be putting my effort in. Um, and, and even now there's still time, like if I drive my, you know, I drove the same way to work every single day for like four or five years. Um, and if I drive across Ross, Ross Island and up Powell to 50, if I get this, like, uh, like my nervous system is definitely telling me something. It's like the grief is still not, yeah. uh, it's not done, you know, and I, I have a hard, I was going to see, um, you know, practitioners at Prima Health, which is a clinic above where Yoga Union used to be. And I actually had to stop going to those appointments because being in the building was just, it was, it's so sad for me at this point to, and I I will get there again because the Breathe building is becoming in another, you know, it's growing and it's blossoming in its own form. I think that it's actually becoming more of what they envisioned it in the first place as a really like a true community center. Um, and so I'll, I'll get back to it, but it's going to take some time. I feel like it's, uh, I feel like I had a big breakup with that studio and with that building, mm, you know, like that space, metaphor. you know, yeah. and there's a part of me that keeps, you know, like when you break up with someone and you keep like stalking their Instagram to see how they're doing. Oh um, my God. I call it the homing <laughs> beacon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like and you and so feel that homing beacon and then it lessens over time after a big right. breakup. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm feeling that it's like every time I drive past, I get a little, you know, like my heart drops a little bit, but to see, yeah. to see what it's, what's happening in it now that feed the masses in there that they, um, you know, are, are offering the space to a lot of really good organizations. I, I, it'll heal. I can, I know that it will heal, but it's still a wound right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. sister. Totally. Yeah. But all of that, I mean, like the collapse of that, uh, created, you know, the doorway into free love and what we're doing here. Um, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I felt so confident about what we were doing with free love because, and we've talked about this obviously, but like that, because we both experienced how we don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Right. You know, we did it a certain way for so long just because that's the way we had been doing it or that's the way other people had been doing it. Um, and and that breakup like made me like all breakups. It's like now I know what I'm uh what I actually want to look for in a in a you know business partnership in a studio and um and so I there is there is clarity that came from that, but it's yeah. a both and. It's sad and happy at the same time. I know. I was just thinking we went full circle from your dad's both end <laughs> to your both end. Yeah. Right. Which is such like, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think that there is, or at least I feel sort of like 
um, it's difficult for me to hold the tension between the grief that I feel over the collapse of Love Hive, mm-hmm. um, which was very similar, you know, right. just like right. really painful. I thought that it was going to be my job for the rest of my life. Like I mm-hmm. literally thought that. Um, but then also to hold the excitement that I feel over the, the opportunity to do things a new way. But then also how scared I am like all the time because of the way in which impermanence was showed to us. Right. Like that joke that you made at the front desk. I hope that nothing happens, you know, like nothing happened. And then a lot happened simultaneously, you know? (laughs) No. And it's, I mean, I think that that's where, you know, now that we're like, you know, quote unquote, emerging from the pandemic, that's not technically over yet. Um, I think that, you know, I've talked about it in my classes a couple of times this week that there is a lot of us are feeling this pressure to kind of pop back to what we were doing and who we were two years ago. And, and it's just not possible because we've changed so much. You think about who you were two years ago and what you cared about and what you were interested in. And it's completely different, you know, like, and I saw a really great Instagram post that was like the audience disappeared, you know, all our lives as, uh, as a culture that lives in like social media times um, or just social, social times, but like there's an audience and you feel like there's a certain level of performance that you have to do. You have to have the job. You have to um, go and exercise five times a week or X, Y, and Z, the expectations that, you know, society puts on us. And then all of a sudden the audience was gone and we didn't Mm -hmm. have to perform anymore. And we got to really figure out what, what we were doing why were we doing it? And, and do we want to keep doing it that way? Um, yeah. And I, I feel that with, with free love and, and with the collapse of, of the, the old studios, the old way, it's like we get to, it's been decimated. We're at the ground level right now. Like the yoga industry is not what it was two years ago. And so we really do get to choose, you know, what do we want to take with us and be mindful yeah. about like, are we taking this with us? because it works or because it's helpful or just because it's the way that it's always been done, you know? And there's a lot of that. That's, I mean, that conversation is happening in not just the yoga world, but in the social justice world and, you know, in all parts of our life. So um, again, this it's is why I love you. Preach. <laughs> 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 Got on a tangent, but yeah, I, it's, no, again. not a tangent. That's like the heart <laughs> of the whole thing. Like you yeah. went right to the core of what has been happening and articulated it in a very profound way. I think that will help people, yeah. um, which is why you're a good teacher, you know? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I had asked? Mm. I just love yoga. I still love it. <laughs> I, I thought about it. <laughs> I got up this morning and I was like, I had to like think back because like, yeah, I started doing yoga in 2010. So that means like, this is the 11th year. It's like, that's a long time. Um, and yeah, like, uh, like anyone, like you have the times where you fall in and out of love with it. And, and I always come back to it every time that I like, there's never been a time that I have done a yoga practice and like regretted it. Um, you know, even if it's like just laying on the ground and like doing like supine twist, supine twist, shavas. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, I will always come back to it because it is, you know, coming up, gr- being raised Catholic uh, was, you know, it's like one of the things that I still really love about that was that I, I was 
taught to love ritual, you know, mm. sit, stand, kneel, peace be with you, <laughs> ring the bell. Um, I, I still really love, you know, those kind of things of, of so, uh, some sort of not routine, but predictability, there's safety in some sense of the predictability of, you know, you're going to show up, we're going to have a little sit, we're going to move our bodies, and then we're going to lay down. Right. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, there's, you know, the creativity of that no practice is ever the same, even if you do the exact same sequence, uh, again, and again, day to day, like you are different each time. So it's going to feel different. Um, mm. And then having the Buddhist upbringing as well, that was very, you know, like very mental brain. Um, and, and it wasn't so much body. If, if that makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. like at the time, needed, especially the somatic right. part of Buddhism is just starting to happen in the last like five years. Right. And it's, yeah, it's like, that's what I was missing that I like, I really, I loved all of the stuff that, you know, my dad taught us the books that, you know, we watched like, um, so many documentaries on like the Dalai Lama. And, uh, I mean like Kundun is like a, one of our favorite, um, movies if you've seen that. And, uh, -uh. uh it's a good one. It's, it's long. It's super long, but it's about like, um, the Buddha's life, uh, of the Dalai, the current Dalai Lama. Oh, the Dalai Lama's like, life. Okay. Yeah. When he was like discovered as like a little, like three-year-old and, or something like that. And then throughout his age as, as he grew up, which is very interesting, but it's like the concepts always made sense to me, but I needed to put it into my body, especially as a teenager. At that point, I had a lot of energy in here that wasn't going anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. and so the physical aspect, uh, has always been huge for me because yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've always had like an, in, not that I like hate my body or anything like the way it looks, but I just have a hard time connecting with my body. And so like yoga is always that, where it's like, if I can just feel my feet on the ground, you know, if I can feel my breath moving. Um, those things are real. And, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's what I need. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's like be with what's real because you know, the world, it's like, I describe it a lot of times in class where it's like the world is like a snow globe or the universe is like a snow globe. And sometimes like big events, like a pandemic shakes up that snow globe. And how are we supposed to stay centered with like all of the swirling chaos? And that is, you know, the physical element is what helps me do that. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, and I, I just want to clarify because people are listening that mm -hmm. as far as like Buddhism has always been into the body scan, but I do right. feel like, <laughs> I do feel like that there was, um, that in the past five years, just with our understanding of like how healing the somatic experience can be, that there has mm -hmm. been a refocusing on, um, a weakness in the body. Like there's right. so much to learn there, even in yoga. I mean, there's been sort of, which seems sort of obvious, but I feel like there's been a recentering about how, um, when we are able to be with what's here, what's awake and alive in our body, that there's a different kind of wisdom that can arrive, can arise yeah. that has a lot of information for us. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's a big deal. Oh, Anna, right. I just love you so much. Thanks. And I appreciate I you. you literally every day. I have to, I'm going to finish this. Um, I want to tell you something that Ursa said yesterday. That's my son. He, <laughs> I was like crying and saying that I felt alone. And he goes, he started to name people who support me. And he, he goes, you're not alone, mom. You have Anna Mitra. Oh. You have, <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I love that he said your whole thing too. Yeah. You're the Amitra. And it's true. Like I feel so, um, I don't know, just blessed that our paths crossed in this funny way through grief, through yeah. losing a lot in the last year, but also a real like realignment um, of our values you know, Mm -hmm. together. And like you said, like what matters here and do we want to do things the old way just because it's habitual or do we want to try things a new way because it really is in alignment with what we value. Um, and you are someone who is so courageous and capable of articulating it in a way that doesn't seem, um, of doing these like kind of scary things because doing anything new is scary. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But now knowing your story, it makes sense to me, um, you're just, that's a place in which I see a larger pattern in your life, having heard it where you're like willing to do the move and mm-hmm. willing to teach the class, even though you just did the flashcards test. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> there's like a willingness that you have to like, just try new things. And that is such a big deal. Cause a lot of folks, um, you know, it's harder for some of us and yeah. I don't know, I just love you and appreciate you. And I Thank think that you. people are going to really enjoy hearing this in-depth sort of peek into who you are in your history and your story. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mwah. Mwah. Love you. Bye, sweet pea. I love you too. Bye.